Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on The Payoff, we sit down with a guy who knows me pretty well. Mike Souza is 14 years sober, and I'm not really going to say anything else about him because he's my brother, and that would probably be really corny. I will tell you he's one of the funniest guys I know. Great visit with Mike Souza coming up, but first, Kevin Souza. Stand by the ocean floor. Can you hear me now? Okay. Yeah, just like before. Yep, we're good. <laughs> uh, Mike, yeah. Uh, Mike Souza joining us from, where are you right now? I'm in uh, Pennsylvania, Bluebell. You're in your office and the weather's pretty pretty dreary there. Yep, a little bit of snow, windy, cold. Um, we, we kind of got missed getting dumped on, but I don't know, 8, 10, 12 inches, something. Yeah, that's something. All right. I mean, I'm in Texas here, so we won't have many guests. This is my brother, of course, Mike. Do you want me to call you Mike or Michael? I think what you listen, whatever whatever works best for you. We you normally call me uh, Michael. I call you Mike. You do when you're you Mike. <laughs> there are many people uh, who's who I will be talking to whose houses I go over to and raid. Just walk right into the snack cabinet and raid it. But hopefully. You know, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more of that soon. Mike, you, you're here not because you're my brother, not because you're a terrific guy, but you're here because you've been sober for many years. How many years have you been sober? Uh, so 14, 14 years. And uh, November 11th, 06 is when I, um, I finally, uh, finally stopped drinking and using drugs. So 14, 14 years. I'm, I can't believe it's been that long. So it'll be 15 years. In November, God willing. That's right. This is some <laughs> special podcast. And the year after that, it'll be 16. So great. later on, we'll do some multiplication. Maybe this is awesome. <laughs> so when did you talk, talk about dates? We're going to stick with dates or stick with events. When, okay, did you, okay. when did you have your first drink or when did you have your first, I guess, mind-changing situation with drugs or alcohol? Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I can so vividly remember the, like the scenario and the feeling I, I, it's hard to place. I know we were at, I was, we were at, I was at, um, my mom and dad, our mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we were, uh, we think, um, (laughs) we were uh, a couple of the guys from the, from down the street. I went to grade school with Rover and we, we raided, um the liquor cabinet and we just said let's you know we started we started drinking out of the bottles and i drank a swig of vodka and this is the you know that that cliche thing you hear you know in in sobriety sometimes like but it it washed over me I, i can i mean that feeling and i never felt it i felt it only once after after that but that feeling of of the alcohol going down my my throat and 
just like that warm feeling, almost like in those Pepto-Bismol commercials when it like coats your, I was like, oh, this is. They show the body. It was, yeah, yes, exactly. You know, it goes down the esophagus or whatever, you know, and, and it just, it felt, it was amazing. I mean, I never, I, I, I just, and then I just remember like, I remember feeling happy at that point. And it's funny because I've had that, that specific physical feeling only one other time. It was when I was at a, a wedding with my, my wife, Tara, and she put her drink down and, you know, I grabbed it. Just one of those mistakes, you know, it was a straw. So then you're, so, you're sober right. at this time, you're at the wedding. Yes, yeah, yeah, I've been sober for probably, you know, eight years. And I took a sip and, and I, I was like, oh God. And I remember that feeling again. Of it running, yeah, you know, and it, and at that point, it was a scary feeling. I was like, "Oh God, does this feel good or bad, or what do I do?" And you know, it just it washed over. I talked to some friends, but but the the first time, man, that was that was something special. And I remember feeling like, "All right, this is this is cool." Paul Parker, for me, cool. what, what were you in? You think eighth grade? I'd, I'd say anywhere from seventh to eighth grade. Okay. Definitely not in high school. Might it might have been six, but I don't know exactly. So what's the next move? Like, do you remember? And I know it may be tough for you to recall this, but did you think, okay, I can't wait to do it again? No, I just think it was fun, and I think that we would consistently do that over the period of you know seventh eighth grade, say right, and then I got to high school, and that that you know it was every weekend where we drinking. Right. And, and that became part of the, the habit. Now for me, you know, I, I look, I couldn't talk to people outside of my inner circle without having some sort of, of alcohol in my system early on. Like it was, it, it was just, there was such a fear in me to talk to anybody who I did not know. And if and I had to know you pretty well to sit back and just kind of kick it with you. But, it was, I mean, I was consumed with fear. I mean, consumed with fear, even as, as, as growing up, like just, it was just a part of me, right? Whether it's a DNA thing or, you know, just, you know, the way growing up with, with um, you know, some challenges, um, you, you know, it was just. Some alcohol, you know, alcoholism fear. in the family. Alcoholism yeah. in the family and, and our father was a, a real, you know, look, he was a suit up and show up father, and he really was 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 a guy who tried his best. Um, he was he was taught about about as poorly as you could be to be a father from his father, and I thought, you know, he did a really good job, all things considered. He was a functioning um, alcoholic, and as children, we were quite nervous. When you got home from work, that things weren't perfect. Is that a good? Is that a, yeah. is that a good way of of, of stating? You know, well, uh, and, our, and, our, and our child. I didn't come up with this. I've I've heard it described before. When the alcoholic comes home, the the record skips, and that's what it was like for us as kids. I mean, we would have friends over. Uh, whether we were playing video games or playing basketball in the driveway, and the moment he pulled up. We wanted to make sure everything was in order or we were scrambling to get it in order. And by that time, it was too late. So then you were going to incur whatever sort of mood he was in, which sometimes could be wrath if things were out of order. And like you're saying, those are some of the challenges we grew up with. I mean, we, we had the pillows 
had to be on the on the couches. You remember that? Like, mm-hmm. like if they weren't, like we the like the pillows had to be on the couches. And when I think about that, I'm like, wow, wow. You know, as we talk about it now, but you know, look, I, I, we never wanted for anything. He did he love us? Absolutely. Did my mom love us? Absolutely. Is that a lot more than than some some kids are ever given? Without question. And love our our mom and dad and you know we, we were we were blessed to grow up how we did you know it, it doesn't mean it was perfect and it it brought us to, to or at least me to where i am now you know it was just part of the journey but you start to drink in high school uh you mentioned those challenges and you're part of the circle right where it's like in the middle of the week on wednesday hey where are we going to drink this weekend when did you really start to see it because it sounds like you did and i know you're a lot like me uh when, when, when it was a gift the first time I got really drunk, like the first time I drank, I didn't get like blackout drunk or anything. I just remember feeling good. And, and it was that way for a little while. I remember I got hammered at, at my buddy George's house. His brother was having a party and I was a sophomore and his brother was two years older than us and was having a party. And we were, I was just, we were crushing bush lights, you know, and, and uh, we were classy from the, from the get go. Right. So, I mean, but I remember that uh, this girl, Kirsten Kramer, was like, um, hey, come on down. Like, you know, I was laying in bed, like, hammered. And she said, come on downstairs. And, um, like, they had me walk in the straight line. It was, it was like seven senior girls, like, you know, just laughing with me. Laughing, I mean, at the time, I thought they were, like, we were all having fun together. And I was a little clown. But, you know, I was... I was a hammered sophomore, but I remember like the way it felt that there was, I was, I could talk to these girls and I was having fun and I was drunk. Um, and of course then, then I blacked out after that and woke up the next morning thinking, you know, <laughs> sweet mother of Pearl, what, what happened? But you know, which became a pattern for sure. So I, I just remember that. And I remember that I was able to talk to these girls drunk and, that was the real like kickoff, like sophomore year of like, we just drank every weekend. You know, I, I've said to you before and, and, and in general, like, I'm just, I'm not an uber deep thinker, right? Like I'm, I'm very just the, the next thing, you know? And, and it wasn't like I was, you know, at that point, like I had to drink every day or anything or, or cause I couldn't talk to people. Like it, it was just very much let's party on the weekend. You know, and, and I had my group of friends there, so there wasn't a fear of that. Now, we I never interacted with other schools or anything. So the people I hung with from freshman year to senior year, like, we were tight. Um, we were all in the same yeah, group. Yeah, you, had, so you I had a great group of friends. Very close, and you, you did like to drink. I, I want to go back real quick about you mentioned hanging out with the girls. It's almost like, because, again, you and I are wired so similarly. As a kid... I would walk by those girls like like a like a Jesse Enoch, right? A Carol. I mean, if you're if you're me, she's two years older than me. She's beautiful. Mm-hmm. She seems like she's untouchable. And so she's like the New York Yankee. And it's like going to watch mm-hmm. the Yankees. And then one weekend you're down the shore, and the next thing you know, you you have drank this stuff. And now you've got the courage to talk to Jesse Enoch. And she's talking back, and it's like you're playing with the Yankees. That breakthrough is uh, for, for the mind of an alcoholic. And uh, it's, like, it's like you've been gifted this translator to talk to people, to have courage, to do things that you were scared to do before. And it really, really starts to work for you. It started to work for me. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it absolutely did. Look, I had such fear of of women. I mean, look, I felt, you know, growing up high school, like the whole time, you know, that I was less than. I was not as smart, um, which I probably wasn't. I was not as handsome. Like I had, I literally thought I had nothing to offer people. Like, well, you're that, really, that's you've, already, you've already showed some signs here. You're, you're a very funny guy. Our friend Todd Glass, comedian, says, you know, Mike has funny in his bones. Did you feel like you needed the alcohol to flip that switch to, even as a kid? Boy, I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I know that I was funnier when I was drinking, you know, like, and, and you know, um, I just know that that when I got drunk, we would just shoot the breeze and laugh our asses off. So yeah, yeah, I was funnier when 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 I drank, and you know we would do bits and skits, and you know I mean just whatever, right? We were just we were just rambunctious guys, like just just causing trouble, like knocking shit down, and you know whatever it, it was. But I, you know, every time I got to a social situation with my friends, like we were drinking now. We laughed and had fun at school, and, and I, you know, I, high school was not torturous for me. I loved it. I just loved it because I had great friends. We were, all, you know, we were all in like the second and third track together in terms of learning. So we we, we had a great, you know, it was well, fun. Well, Mike and I went to high know, school. There was honors. There was track one, track two, track three. Yeah, we lingered below. We did, um, and deservedly so. I, I, you know, that's another thing. Like. You know, having ADD and not being able to focus, and and look, as, as a, in a grade school, knowing that I couldn't follow the lesson plan, and you know, that you want to peel the layers of the onion back, go go there, right? Like that's, you know, watching other kids around me, like you know, for the most part, following what the teacher's saying, reading along. I remember I had my pens doing like a Star Wars thing, like, and just. I was in my own world. Like I could not grasp anything that the teachers were teaching at any point. At any, the only thing that that interested me was in seventh grade when I read The Outsiders, and I was like, "Oh, I I read this book, the whole thing." And uh, you know that 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 was uh, that's ADD though, right? When you love something, you love the situation you're in, you're all in. So I just. You know, I couldn't focus. So there's another less than I wasn't, you know, I wasn't feeding my brain educationally and learning. And really, it's a shame because I was, you know, look, I had some great teachers. My seventh and eighth grade teacher was one of the best people ever. And he really spent time with me. Um, but, the, you, know, the other, you know, you just you were a screwball kid. You weren't you weren't championed at all. And, and, and rightly so, I guess. I don't know. They just didn't know better. So, you know, that that was it, man. And then take me through the, the evolution. Act, act, so you get to high school. It's obviously working for you. And how does it how does it play out from there? Um, it's it's just work. You know, it was just every week. Like I said, every weekend drinking, you know, look, it was. You know, I was with guys who drank tons. We and and look, I you know, drugs are definitely a part of my story, but not in high school. I think I think we, I smoked weed like three or four times, the most. Maybe even no, in high school maybe like once. It just wasn't my thing. Yeah, and your group um, of friends from in high school was not. You weren't. It was not a dark group of guys, like you said. It was a no. bunch of fun guys to be around. My parents awesome. loved you guys. You guys were. You yeah. know, they were always welcome at the house. There was a lot of time spent over the house by those guys. 
this never seemed like a problematic group of guys. However, Mike, you guys are getting drunk every weekend and, and, and the parents are kind of in tune with that. It's almost like, I'm not going to say they greenlit it, but they were pretty much aware of what was going on. I would think, you, you, you know, you'd get like a sly look from some of the other parents, like, you know, like, like we know what you guys are up to late night or whatever. You know, it wasn't like this is terrible. And did we do stupid things? Like, yeah, ultimately, it was a good group of people. Like, we were not up to like terrible things. Were we getting in cars hammered? Were we dry? like, yeah, I mean, real bad things could have happened. Right. And, and, um, you know, but look, for the most part, high school was a party. It was fun. Um, you know, I didn't drink on Fridays during football season and, and football is something that it, it was probably the only thing I really applied myself to, like just taking it seriously. Um, I understood it. I loved playing it. Uh, you know, that, that was, you know, that was pretty awesome. And I'll tell you what, it's kind of funny. And it, and it really does kind of resonate to, to being sober now. Um, I, when I was a junior, there was a playoff game. And I, and I was very fortunate to, to ha- have a, a significant role in us winning this game in the last minute. Caught a touchdown was, was in the just, back of the end zone was, against West yeah, Cap. That's correct. And, uh, you know, look, it was, it, it, it was just, it was a really great moment. I mean, I could, it was just a great moment. For, at that point, was a really good kid who felt less than all the time and had worked pretty hard. And it, was a huge, it was a huge catch. I mean, it's, you guys propelled you guys into the championship game. The yeah, Villanova Stadium right, place yeah. was packed, yeah. Yeah, it was like under a minute left or something. It was cool. It was like we were down. It was, it was awesome. It was a big moment. So um, I remember that night after, after the, uh, the game, my position coach came up to me, Kirk McPhillan, and he looks me in the eyes and he goes, that was awesome now do yourself a favor i hope you don't mind this language Pete. but he said i'm going to quote him he said keep your dick in your pants tonight and don't drink and you'll remember this night forever and i was like oh and i loved burke and i went out that night after the game and we were at some bonfire down at the in in philadelphia at the 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 plateau the point Mm -hmm. Made famous by Will Smith. Will Smith, the Fresh Prince, yeah, summertime. The plateau where everybody go, yes. Um, <laughs> wow. So uh, I didn't drink that night. And I remember, like, the, like honestly, that night, it was, like, it was probably the, the only time I've ever had where I can equate to my life in sobriety. Like, it just, because people were like, oh, my God, Mike. So this action had filled me, right? Mm-hmm. I was now getting approval from people um so i didn't have to be drunk to go up to people you know and 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 it was every it was it was seniors juniors and it was like whoa um so that was a great moment and i i remember being in that moment and enjoying it i still remember to this night to this day um that night it was just awesome and uh you know but 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 uh rest assured that would be probably the last time anything you know any night i'd ever go out and not drink because uh you know, and then the escalation, if you want me to, to keep going, was, you know, getting out of, of high school, um, barely getting into Villanova. I didn't deserve to be there. Um, our mother worked there and 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 pulled strings to get us in. She was always um, pulling strings and, for us. And that's, you know, we, we yeah. had carte blanche at Villanova University as kids, you know, like what a charmed life all over the athletic department doing pretty much whatever we wanted. And then, I mean, you look at Villanova as a school now, right? I mean, quite the reputation academically, and you just kind of glide in there. 
I mean, glide in there with no sense of appreciation for mom getting us in there. No sense of appreciation for what a great school it is. It was just like, oh, no, no, great. Our, our buddy Clint but, says, but born on third base, thought I hit a triple, right? Oh, my God. I mean, and it's funny because when I look back, you know, we didn't, our, our parents did not, you know, we didn't have, have the best clothes. Like, we went close. Like, they, we did not have a lot of money. Um you know, we had a great house, but everything went into that house. And, and you know, we, we were like, we were paycheck to paycheck. And, but there's still, you know, there's a sense of, of entitlement along the journey. And, uh, you know, I think in some aspects we were taught not to be entitled, right? Um, but for a lot of things, like we just, uh, it was an entitlement. Like, okay, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, an arrogant entitlement. It was just like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, like, great. You, you know what I mean? Like it was just a very, um, but it was entitlement, I guess. I don't even, I just qualify entitlement, I guess. Did I make it, uh, excuses for being a dick maybe, but whatever. <laughs> well, you, you talk about your evolution and I want to interject something here and, and ask a question at the same time. What do you think working at a bar in college did for your drinking situation? <laughs> I mean, it certainly did not stunt it at all, right? Like it, it was, I mean, come on, man. I am a, a freshman at Villanova, I'm 18 years old, and I am a bouncer at one of the best bars in at Villanova. And again, my brother got me the job. Kevin, was, Kevin, right? Kevin paved the way. Our oldest brother, Kevin, really paved the way a lot of, a lot of ways for us socially, I think. I know for, I can speak for myself. And then for you and ultimately for me, he ends up playing music at this bar, correct? And then becomes a, a, a yeah. bartender, I guess. And it's, oh, by yeah. the way, it's probably one of the most popular bars uh, associated with Villanova yeah, well, University and their students. It's not existent now, right? Like, yeah. so it was Smokey Joe's and, and uh, you know, um, it was, it's owned by an amazing family, the Ryans, and, and, and their father started it. And, it really was a family business. It was good people. They hired local college people. Um, you know, look, under, underage drinking was not looked favorably upon, but it was not, you know, you know, in the in the 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 nineties. You know, look, it, 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 it was a different time. It, obviously, yeah, yeah. I hate saying that. I, I'm yeah. Dating myself, you know. Back then, we could, you know, drive cars through walls, right? Like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but you know, it was like. It was, um, and it was awesome. I mean, dude, it was a, like, it was an amusement park. And again, like the owner, Pat, like he was great to me and, and, and my good friend, you know, still to this day, close friend, Jeff Felucci, we could do whatever we wanted there, you know, cause we, we, we were like part of the internal family. And I hate to I be mean, that guy, but I got to, again, I'm hearing that entitlement, right? I mean, again, I'm hearing that. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Doing whatever yeah, you want. Good. Like, and you, you say it, Mike, it's like, I can get by on a wink and a handshake. Uh, dude, I was thinking about that this morning. I mean, did, I did not apply myself to, and like I said before, like football, like that maybe those two seasons, but beyond that, brother, like I just, I showed up. I did show up because our dad, our dad taught us that through his actions. Like you show up, right? I showed up, but I did not apply myself at all. Right? Like, I did the bare minimum. As our good friend Clint says, um, I was a career just enougher, right? Like that was me. And I just, I did the bare minimum, but I was, I'm, I was Mike. Like what? Like, I'm, come on. Like, 
you kidding me? So, it, you know, like it was just like winking a smile, man. Um, and you know, working there was awesome. I mean, you know, look, I, I did, we did, you know, I did. Look, I worked hard during the shift, right? Like, but. Well, you know, I was checking IDs and carrying kegs like that. But you did well enough for you. You know, then you were anointed a bartender, which I'll use the word anointed because it was a big, it was like sainthood, uh, and it was yeah. a big deal. And here's the, one of the funniest things, and I'll tell you this real quick: was um, I was so before I got promoted um, to a bartender. I, this is like you want to talk about a dude filled with fear, okay? So there was a girl who I had just a major crush on, and um, she comes up to me, you know, at like nine o'clock, you know, all the people that have been day drinking, I'm working the door, I'm the, you know, the doorman and she comes up and she is literally like throwing herself at me. Now, first of all, look, I, I, I mean, she was drunk. Okay. Like I'm not, you know, this, this, this was not a regular occurrence, but I dug her. I was so scared. To like talk to her, I mean, my hand, I, I was like panicking, like, what do I do? Like, she grabs me by the tie and starts dragging me outside, right, to, to kiss. And I'm like, I, I can't, I have to, I can't leave my station. Like, I, I was just consumed with fear. And then we could start drinking at midnight. So I've got like, like, you know, unbelievable. We could see a doorman could drink draft beer starting at midnight. (laughs) Talking about a powder keg, like, you know, like, here we go. So, you know, well, the idea was they could tip a drink, right? Yeah, I guess that was, (laughs) So you know, yeah. So midnight, I, you know, so again, so by 1230, I've got a pitcher of beer in me and I'm like, where is she? And she was gone for the night. And but that, that was like, that was the fear. I could not like talk to a girl. I, you know, you know, just it, it was, and you know, you know, look, man, and and some girls like, well, God, what a nice guy. Like, but no, there was no motive of being a nice guy. It was fear, consumed with fear. And then I became a bartender. And frankly, you have access to alcohol, and and, and we could start drinking earlier and pretend we weren't, and we did. Um, we did. Let me. I did. Um, and I was a terrible bartender. Um, the only night I was good was Wednesday, this huge night, which was sink or swim. And, and, and it was draft beer, well drinks. And, but I was slow and I was just whatever, but, um, it was a great time. Uh, it was fun. I, it was at that time where I was introduced to, to cocaine and that was probably the biggest aha moment in my life because. I remember trying my first line. I sound like a, I tried my first line <laughs> and uh, I remember it, it, it hit my system and, and now that was euphoric. And it was like, holy shit. Every sense was heightened. My awareness was through the roof. And guess what? I could concentrate for the first time. I could look and see something and go, I was like, it was like, oh my God, I'm dialed in. I'll never forget that feeling. It's like you're, you're granted I superpowers. Hate. And I remember Kirstie Alley, the actress who's sober now, I've, I heard her once mention, you know, the first time she did that, she said, oh my God, I'm going to do this for every day for the rest of my life. Whether she did or not, it's neither here nor there, but that's the, that's the mindset. That, that if you're it, an man. addict or alcoholic. I, 
Yes, that is, you know, a qualifier for sure. Yeah. Dude, it, it was it was the moment where I was like, I have found, I am, I am home. Now, I also was consumed with guilt the next day because our parents didn't raise us to do this and and blah blah blah. I mean, one of the things that I think did help me was help me in terms of of not of of getting well getting sober when I did was. I carried a tremendous amount of guilt around. Like I was not one of those people who'd be like, ah, whatever. Like, you know, you know, you weren't. And it led to you being, I mean, regardless of the motives, you were seen in the eyes of many as a very good kid, a good guy. Uh, There there was not much darkness that followed you around. I mean, sure. There were moments, but overall, uh, you know, not the same can be said at certain points in my life and and, and our oldest brother, uh, Kevin's life, Kevin, who is sober now too. That's correct. True. Um, we well, think. I, I, I would disagree with that, but that's in terms of, you know, you guys, you know, uh, you guys were, we were all of those good kids. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but look, I just, I wanted to be liked. So I wanted to be a good kid, you know? So whether it was authentic or not, I, I don't even know now, but, but I think, all, you know, like I, 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 we were taught to do the next right thing and I wanted to be that good kid. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it, it was just, the guilt was there so it was a big part of it was a big part of of you know the way i felt i you know you know there there were regrets every time so you know it wasn't an every day thing at all you know but it was definitely it definitely became a weekly thing to like my third and fourth year of Villanova. um and mind you because of my terrible academic standing there was a fifth year and then a, a half a year so <laughs> it took me five and a half years to get out of villanova um which was like when you look back i was that guy like it was only a year and a half but i'm still like people come in like hey you're good you're still bartending here i'm like yeah still wrapping up my you know there was a guy i went to school with who got his master's I graduated and got his master's in four years while playing football. And I was like, <laughs> And if you think about it, I mean, looking back now, I, I would say alcohol had just about everything to do with that. Would you not say that? Yeah, I, cool, cool, yes, everything. Like, that, listen, nothing mattered except for going out, hanging with my friends, and getting hammered. Like, that's all that mattered. Like, it, it, was, it was like, I just, I had no goals. I had no focus. I just wanted to drink. And then when drugs got introduced, it was all about, like, what was going to happen, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I guess, it, you know, it was every night. And, and, and then using Coke, you know, several times a week. When did it turn you know, on you? It, it, when, did, when did it all turn on you? <sighs> I mean, look, you know, there were there were moments of just, like, I mean, like it, it started to turn, you know, probably right after college. I mean, it was always turning, right? I mean, and, and by that, I mean, like, there was bad shit all throughout, like blackouts, like ending up in place, like down in Philly, like just the places you don't want to end up, right? It was bad, but it wasn't like, it was like, oh, this is kind of part of the game, I guess, right? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Sorted places with lower companions. I mean, that's what you, you, you seek those places out without even knowing it. Well, I mean, look, you know, 10 years later, it, it ended up with some of the most sorted individuals you can imagine. Um, 
But I'll tell you when I realized it turned on me. As I, I, I graduated from Villanova, got my first job locally, and that did help keep me on, you know, on the beam, but it was still like going out at like, I mean, look, my, I went up to like 250 pounds, right? I was, I was, and, what's your playing, uh, what's your playing weight? Um, you know, well, I mean, in high school, I was 190, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm like 195 now, I guess. Okay. You know? So like, that was some extra, that was some extra weight for sure. But it was like, who's weight, you know, I remember this girl who I had, <laughs> this is who I had like, of course, you know, I, I dated her for like a year and I, and, and I broke up with her the way every man does in college. I mean, like, I just stopped calling her back, right? Like such a jerk. And, and she was hurt by that, of course. And I remember she saw me like three years later. She walks up and says, oh, look at that face, this, that big bloated face. It used to be so sweet. And she walked away. I was like, whoa. Ouch. I was literally sit, sitting on a bar stool at Smokey Joe's drinking a draft beer. And I deserved it, right? Like, but that was that was truth. Um, so, anyways, I, I I left my job and moved to California to become an actor. Correct. Um, and really, I just wanted to get away from. I I I, I wanted to be famous because I wanted people to like me. I wanted to get acknowledged. Um, but I just, you know, I wanted I wanted to to, to get away from everything, you know, to, you know, from, to to leave. You know, geographic, um, you know, whatever, whatever. We, a geographic we cure. Thank you. Yes. Um, and I just go someplace else and do something different. And I went to California. And, you know, here I am, like, for the first time in my life, truly left to my own devices. Truly. And that, you know, and again, my, my, my our older brother, Kevin, wonderful Kevin, who, who, Really, just like you said, you know, Paved hooked away. us up. Was yeah, I mean, he, he was. God, we could do a whole podcast on like being his little brother <laughs> because he was such a rock star, such he a was cool like, guy. Yes, he was such a cool guy. I was so not cool, um, you know. It, but but uh, he got me my job at the House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard. I'm taking acting classes, which is another kick-ass place to work. Yeah, the House of Blues Sunset Strip. I mean, it's. I look, I smoked at the time. I remember like walking. I, I remember actually walking to my ship. We had to walk down the Sunset Boulevard and I'm walking wearing my Smokey Joe's, my, my House of Blues laminate and T-shirt. And um, I'm smoking a cigarette. and I'm thinking this is cool. I didn't think I was cool. I just thought that was cool. Right. Like it was it was pretty great. But look, and it's heady stuff. You work, you work in the VIP room, right? Like. Well, I was, I did, I, and this is actually like, I wasn't afraid to do like manual shit. Like I was, I worked, I started out working, um, like literally doing load in, load out, which was any sort of musical equipment coming in, coming out. And then I was, I did everything there. And then I was a, a bar back and then I mostly security though for the VIP room. And really I got that gig because Look, I mean, I thought I was a flake and, and not responsible, but you go out to California, like you show up for work on time for a month straight, like you're <laughs> you're getting accommodated, you know, like it was crazy. Like it was like, I was like, oh, all right. You know, so that, you know. I don't even and, know the answer was, to this question. Who was the biggest celebrity that you maybe rubbed elbows with in, in the green room? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Keanu Reeves, like without question. You know, Keanu Reeves was huge. You hung out with Keanu Reeves now. Now, that I, now that I remember the story. That's correct. And, and 
Um, it was a, a really fun, wild, long night. Like I ended up talking to him a decent amount. And, uh, you know, like a couple of days later, these girls who were at the party came in and they were asking for, for me at the house of blues. And they came over, they're like, Hey, we want to say, if you, do you know where Keanu is tonight? And I was like, Oh my God. Like they think I'm like his buddy, <laughs> but I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm literally, literally, I just got done dragging a trash can across the dance floor. <laughs> they're asking me where Keanu is. And then of course, the next time he was there, cause he had a band called dog, dog star that would play on slow nights. And he was there. This is, this is like right before the matrix. He was still famous, but, and, uh, I, what, I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he was like, he had no idea who I was. And I was like, oh, boy. Like, it was it was unbelievably humbling. But, you know, you, know, you think you're, you're special, and of course you're not. And uh, it was just a great time. It was. I mean, there were some wonderful moments. I, some friends I have to this day. The House of Blues was actually a really good place to work. There were good people there. Um, but drinking and drugs were everywhere, man. And uh, I, I don't know the date, but I remember... Like, I I would go home from my shift with like six, you know, six to eight drinks in me because we could drink after work, right? We could have a couple drafts. And a lot of times we'd go to a place called Red Rock this far down the street, which was awesome. and get blasted. But a couple times I would go home and lay in bed. I remember laying in bed, like a little drunk and going, I could go get some drugs, get some coke at this place. And I'd be like, ah, I don't want to. But I would do it every, like, almost every time. And then, you know, it was, like, haunting me. I remember after going to get drugs one time and being up for, like, I think a day and a half, I literally ended up at this this place on Sunset Boulevard with, like, five random dudes. And, and it, it was, like, right next to Tower Record. But, but, and and it, this house had, like, books everywhere. And we were just – it was, like, so insane. And, and I remember – getting home from there, you know, and, and sitting on, on my chair and like being like, uh, okay, th- there's a problem here. It was the first time I remember there's a problem. And it was the same day of the Columbine um, shooting. I remember watching this unfold on TV and, and like just thinking, um, I'm like, I'm a disgrace. Like the, this, this is happening. These poor kids, and I'm here doing drugs and like, and it was like, it was definitely a bottom. Um, I felt terrible. And then I remember, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I remember looking through the yellow pages and I called a church and I ended up talking to this priest. I told him on the same like, day, yeah, same day. And I remember, I don't know what to do. And he, you know, meanwhile, you know, like, and, uh, he's like, have you heard of AA? I'm like, no, I don't know what that is. He's like, I'm like, I'm, calling you and he says well you might want to look into this aa thing but otherwise you know god be with you son and hung up and i was like hmm well i tried to get help and you know <laughs> and i was off and running and it was just more of the same and and that that started a cycle of okay i have a problem no i don't yes i do no i don't which is um, no fun it's the worst it wasn't awful at that point because i thought that ah, was a bad run you know and you know, it, it just got worse and worse. And then I moved to Atlanta and I lived with a bunch of guys who were awesome. They were the best. We were similar in every way. Um, and it just got like, like I got sicker. I was the worst of anybody around. And um, 
it was just bad, you know, like, like I, I just, it was the same thing over and over and over again. Uh, and that was the first time I, I really tried to get help. And in um, Atlanta, I remember to, you called me. I remember where I was and you called me and you said that you had been sober for a certain amount of times and that you were going to AA uh, and, mm-hmm. that, and that you had a sponsor. And I remember being super impressed because my friend Pete had gotten sober when we were 18 and I saw the effect it was having on him. So sobriety, although it didn't seem like something I wanted to do, it certainly seemed like something that I, I'd seen it work out for somebody. And in the back of my mind, as, a, as an alcoholic, I always thought, well, maybe that's a rabbit I could pull out of my hat if I had to. And then so you talking about it to me, I, I was into it. It's weird. I, I remember thinking like, wow, this is really cool. I wasn't like poo-pooing it. I was impressed because I, I guess in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to have to go that route at some point, or at least it was there. Yeah, I mean, typically when you when when you know that, I mean, first of all, I know this. Like, you think that's cool, but I also remember when when our older brother Kevin, I said that like five times, um, when he got he he got sober when I was in California, and it was a short period of time. And I remember when he was sober, and I was like, oh my god, like like this is the guy who when we were little was around, but like. I remember like really admiring him because he was like super cool again. Like he was very like there and like around. I was so proud of him. Um, and I don't, maybe that had something to do with it for you, you know, like, uh, you know, and then also knowing that typically people who have some sort of an issue and want that resource to be available for them. They're like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll ask the most questions. So anyways, um, so you go to AA uh, in Atlanta. How does that grab you? I was a, a visitor of the program. You know, I, I would go to a, a couple of uh, meetings a week. Uh, I had a great sponsor who always looked at me and said, you know, Michael, when are you going to realize you're full of shit? And I remember thinking, like, I would get mad at him. I'd go home and be like, F- him, man. Like, like, what, like, he doesn't, like, I'm being totally honest. Like, I remember being really mad about it. Um, and he was so right. Like he knew, like it was like I was not ready. I was not honest. Nothing. Like it was just. But you know what it was? It was a break for me to clear my head, and, and I did. And then and I got right back on the horse after like you know what six seven whatever whatever it was. And and that led to my first understanding of of knowing that there was a way out, and not wanting anything to do with it because it's just not cool. Uh, and also knowing that, like, I, I would never, ever be able to talk to it. Like, I, I couldn't socialize with people mm-hmm. unless I knew you. None of that unless I was drinking. And you can't take, like you said, you can't take this superpower away from me. And then every time I drank, you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, I've, I heard on a podcast, Jason Bateman say this a, a long time ago, maybe a, a, a radio, an interview. No, it's Jason uh, Bateman. I know where you're going. Go, go ahead. Yeah, it's like he's like, you know, like it became where like French fries with ketchup, like, okay, well, you get French fries, you want ketchup, it would lead to it would lead to drugs. And uh, the two just went hand in hand. I mean, I'd have two drinks and be like, you know, what, this sounds like a good idea. Let's keep this going. Now, but as we move um, forward to, to you getting sober and hang in there and take this compliment, there's not many people who I know who are as comfortable in their own skin now, who are as funny as you are. Uh, you operate with an air of confidence and, and a light coming off you. Now, obviously, this took a little time, right, from when you get sober to when you get into the place that, that I see you in today. 
but here's this guy who who is killing himself and will not turn over the keys because he believes without this thing that's killing him, he will no longer be able to operate the way he needs to in life. That's, that's a microcosm of addiction in itself, right? That jumping off point, it says in some of the, the literature, uh, you cannot live with it and you can't live without it. Uh, that, that is it. And, and I, there, were, there were moments, you know, in that before I got sober for that last year where I would, I would literally sit in my car and, and, and it became this simple, this simple repeated monologue, dial, whatever, like in my brain, which was, okay, look, I'm not going to drink and use drugs today. Or I can't believe I drank and used drugs yesterday and today. Like that was it. Like it was, and then of course it was, how am I going to get <laughs> drugs and alcohol today? Those three things. That was it. I can't believe I did. I'm not going to. How can I? And that's, and I lived in that, that, and, and, and again, nothing else mattered at that point. Like, you know, I, I had switched jobs. I was kind of in between jobs. I had Lily, who's my daughter, who happens to also be Peter's niece, which is weird how that works. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I had a daughter. Um, I, the relationship ended terribly because of, of my, my drinking and drugs. And, um, I still wouldn't get sober. And that was, that was it. Being a good dad didn't matter. I wanted to, but it was, how do I, how do I use? How do I not use? I can't believe I use. So when's the moment and of clarity? I, I, there was no burning bush for me. Um, but I remember very vividly one night, one, one day I, I had Lily. And when I had Lily, she, she was, she was at my parents with me, right? It was me and my, and, and, We'd be at the house, and then it would be like three days, and then back to to her mom, Kim. Um, who, frankly, we have a wonderful relationship right now, and I'm so blessed she was open to, you know, keep me in Lily's life at that young age. You know, it was important to her that her dad was around. So, and things anyways, things were we, kind of um, messy uh, at that point in time to say the things think? that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. So we'll get yeah. back to that. Go ahead. So I, I I remember. So we were. I was like, we were trying to potty train her. I remember that I'm, she's sitting on the toilet and these ice blue eyes are looking at me and I'm looking back at her and all I can think was, please pee so I can get you back to your mom and I can go out and drink and use drugs. And I remember that and as I dropped her off, I was like, I cannot believe that's all I thought about looking at this beautiful girl. And I still went out and drank and used. I went to another meeting shortly thereafter and that, that, that thing was in the back of my head. That was like, I can't, you know, look, I, th- everything had happened. Like police had been, had been involved before. Like I was, wasn't working. I was living at, at one point at my friend Jeff's like back room. Like, you know, I've told the story before where, where I, I literally had nothing, you know, um, but I had everything I needed. Um, and, 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 and then it just was like, okay, the, you know, the stakes finally got high enough realizing that I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't being the, the, the father that I should be. Um, and I was ready. I got, and, and I, gotta, uh, I have to mention this now because I don't want to forget now. I know that your daughter is uh, completely crazy about you. You guys, I mean, there is an air of, hey, we know who's in charge. But at the same time, it's like you two are best friends. As far as I see it, you have snapped off through my sobriety and Kevin's first and then mine, ultimately you kind of snapped off that branch of the family tree 
where addiction, I've heard, you know, the cliche, it didn't run in our family, it galloped. And then you have Kim, who you talk about, who is Lily's mother, who you guys had, you know, obviously a messy breakup. And you are now, what, the, the godfather to one of her kids? And you guys are... One of them to Marley, yeah, Marley. Yeah, I mean, I mean and, yeah, and you guys Marley. are... Your relationship is unbelievable. It's like the, it well, kind look, of is like the, it looks like the Brady Bunch from the outside looking in, and and this is a situation without without the grace of God, right? As people say uh, in the rooms of, of sobriety or AA, uh, that like this should not be like this at all. No, no. Look, you know, um, Kim and Evan, who are who is Lily's stepdad, who's a great guy, and Kim, her mom, were away for a week or, or a couple, like, you know, for, for a couple of days and Marley and Sloan, who is, who is their other child, um, stayed at, at our house with Tara, myself and Callie, who's my 10 year old, like Tara, your wife, you know, they trust us. Tara, you know, I said earlier, I think, um, <laughs> who is just the best. Um, but she, she really is. She, I mean, I mean that sincerely, like she's just, she cracks me up like nonstop. But we like, like they trust us with their children. And you said something earlier, like it looks like the Brady Bunch from the outside, right? And, and you know, look, all relationships have issues, ups and downs, and that's for real. But guess what? Like, it's not a shit show. Like, it's authentically a good thing. Like, we get along, and it's because, like, there's love. And, you know, like, look, they're great people, and I'm sober. And, and sober, I have worked on myself to be a productive member of society and to be a responsible human being, like you should. What would you tell somebody? Go, go, go ahead, finish your thought. No, well, go ahead. No, seriously. <laughs> so what would you tell somebody that is on, on the fence right now? Because you had a lot, I mean, you had a lot of reasons to get sober. Uh, it seems like we all do before we do. And what would you, what would you say to somebody who is who was unable to, to find that gear to surrender? That's a great question. And it's, a, it, you know, look, I don't, I don't have that like 14 year sobriety, like go to a meeting and, you know, I don't have that answer because it's just, it's a, it's a hard question to answer because people don't necessarily, they'll, they'll get it when they want to get it. But, but really if somebody was struggling and, you know, they weren't getting, I would just, I'd say, look, there's a better life out there. Like, look, man, I, I never, ever thought life for me would be good without drinking. I never thought it would. And to have replaced the feeling, that euphoric feeling from drinking and drugs with like, okay, you know, I, I know that, that Friday I'm, I'm going to have pizza and, and, and the kids will be there. And like, I love that. Like the little moments in life are the most precious moments. Um, what I could also say is like, it does not end well, like period. Like I skirted like certain, certain long-term jail time and death more than once. You know, one, one step in a different direction would have ended all things terribly. And I would have missed this, this amazing life I'm living right now. It's got its challenges. It's not easy at times. But when I step back and take stock, like, oh, my God. You know, I have a roof over my head. I got a wife who loves me, who I love. 
I've got three children who all, who all like, they give me a hard time, but they all know that, that I do the best to be a really good father and, and provide for the family and be a part of their lives. Right. It, that, that's all I need. You know, and well, I have a job. Yeah, you have that, a great that, job that, and that, you've, you've achieved great success yeah. in, in, in your line of work, which when you talk about the fact that you were somebody who couldn't get through St. Thomas Good Council grade school with, with, with barely a C plus, it's, it's kind of amazing speaking to that effect. I also want to ask you, what were some of the things you did in sobriety, some key moments, things that surprised you and kept you sober? You know, it, it took me like... Um... You know, to, to commit to sobriety, right? Like, even though I was sober early on, it was like, all right, like, I, I don't want to be a part. I, I, it was fear still. I didn't want to be a part of, like, a program. I didn't want to be a part. And at some point, it's like, look, you got, you know, you know, there's a there's a quote, like, you know, if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats sometimes. And uh, you got to go all in, you, you know, and, and I did. And, and it's been the greatest thing I've ever done, right? To commit to, to the program, to a program, to be truly vulnerable, to, to work steps, these steps, to, to dig through what, you know, what made me like this, right? Ultimately, like, like to fix things because it's one thing to be sober, but it's another thing to, to be part of a system um, that encourages you to improve yourself, right? You don't have to, but, you see people around you who do it and you're like, well, how did, did that happen? And they say, well, I just did these things and like, hmm, all right, well, and then you want to do it, right? It's, it's a program of want to not have to. Um, but ultimately, like for me, I have to do these things or, or you know, I'm not going to evolve. Um, and I don't ever want to drink again. I don't, I'm, I don't ever want to drink or use drugs again. I, Cause I know one thing through, through my time being sober, that, that, and, and, and certain times I've been more connected to sobriety than, than other times, right? And I know that I've clung to this. That if I have a drink, it's, it's poo. I know this for a fact. It's all gone. Every, like, it's gone. I know that if I drink again, the run I'm going to go on is going to be, uh, like, just train wreck after train wreck. And, I have too many great things right now, and I, I, I don't want to live like that. Just, I just don't want to live like that. What did you learn about yourself over the course of the last year? People that don't know, which is probably everybody, our dad died last year uh, in October, and you were kind of the glue who held the family together. Not only were you on the home front, but you were the <laughs> you were probably the person you wanted there most. Yeah, it's um, kind of like congratulations, you're the world's tallest little person. No, like, but, I but, but, to be he, here, but you know? he was, you know, it was funny who this guy who you always tried to please uh, growing up, he <laughs> became your biggest fan as, as he rode off into the sunset and you were there exuding sober behavior, quote unquote, sober behavior. You know, you were, you were there, you were present, you were of service. How did you see your sobriety working in that whole situation? Cause from afar, dude, it was, it was amazing because I've seen both acts. You know, I, I was at a meeting today or a couple of days ago where a guy said, this guy, Ernie, who I love and respect said, I've literally lived two separate lives in one lifetime. He's been two separate people right before he got sober and started working mm -hmm. a program. And then after, what was it like for you to kind of weave that whole, that, that situation into, into your life? I, I know this. I know that being sober 
I was able to, to, I think, handle it because of the support and what I've learned from other people in sobriety, right? I, I think that, and, and to me, again, like, like I don't overthink those things. Like, it just, like, everything that I did there was, you know, just felt like the next indicated thing to do. It was the right thing to do. Look, yes, I had a, the support system and people who shared their experiences of going through things like this. And I would say, I don't feel like, you know, going over and seeing my dad today. And, and, and they would say things like, my dad said, if I could do that, I'd give anything for one more time. And those are the people you're surrounding yourself with, by the way, when you get sober, right? Guys that'll say that to you, not guys that'll say, Hey, don't worry about it. Watch the film of a game over here. Exactly. Right. Like, you know, they're not going to buy my bullshit. They're not going to co-sign. They're going to tell me to suit up and, and show up and, and they're also going to say like I like they're going to experience they're going to share what they, what what they've been through. The greatest thing about sobriety and working a program is that I've always been attracted to people who have learned from from what they've went through. Right? They've been through the fire. That's that appeals to me. Um, to know that they've been in the arena, so to speak. Right? They have fought the fight and they've learned. Um, that to me is like that's what I wanted to be. And and so with mom and dad and the whole thing, man. It, um, Look, it, it was so hard. It was so hard for you guys. Um, and, I, and oddly, I felt for you guys because I know you wanted to be here and you couldn't. And I hate to sound super cheesy, but I think I was there for all of us. And if you had been here, you would have done it. So would have Kevin. Um, and, and ultimately, it was a pain in the ass sometimes, right? <laughs> like, you know, when dad was dealing with Alzheimer's and mom calls at 10 because he wants 10 at night, he wants to go to work. And I got to drive, you know, 40 minutes over to, you know, to talk and tell him, you can go to work tomorrow. Let's, let's take, let's take a break now. He's by the way, he didn't work anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Who would hire him? Um, Dude, it was an honor to spend that time. And like you said, dad changed and he looked up to me, which was bizarre because growing up, I was the, Middle child, I was, everything was a joke. I mean, it still is, but always screwing around. And he definitely, like, you know, mom's admitted he was, he was a little hard on me and thought I was kind of a goofball. Like, I don't know. Some say least favorite son, maybe, but that's okay. <laughs> not I can, not at the I end can, of the day. Just... I, listen, I know that you're, you're pressed for time and, and I am too, because I, uh, are you, where are I, you going? I have, no, I have to do Andel Hankrick's podcast after this because <laughs> I know everyone's got one of these. So That's a friend of my grandmother's, by the oh, way. That- <laughs> Some people that listen to this, obviously not everybody listening to this uh, is going to be that person with a drug problem. They may be somebody or, or a drinking problem, right? Um, or maybe somebody with someone in their life who has a drug or alcohol problem and, and they don't know what to do. I gave you uh, a lot of experience with a family member who refused <laughs> to get sober many, many years. You know, you were there for me. Uh, you led mostly by example, but in talking to you now and having open dialogue, I mean, clearly, and even then you were clearly frustrated with the situation. What would you say to someone that has a family member right now that is struggling and just cannot, cannot get sober or won't even try? You know, it's it's a tough situation to be in, especially, look, I was the first one sober in an alcoholic family, right? And it's like being a, it's like being an alien. I mean, like, I, like, it's literally like, like, it's, it's watching this world around you 
and trying not to judge, but like everyone's hard on you because they think you're judging them. It was just this really bizarre place to be in. Slowly, your journey became apparent it was an issue. And mom and dad, to their benefit, realized it was an issue. And they got scared for you. And, and um, I think one of the things that, that helped was, and look, I'm not a parent of, of someone who's got this problem. It may happen someday. Uh, but as a brother, I was able to say, like, and, and my kids love you, love you. Um, but I just had to say, listen, bud, I can't let, I can't let you around my kids anymore unless you're, 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 you're working on, on sobriety. Right. I think those boundaries are important. And there were two major moments for me, uh, when you sat me in the room, uh, and at the time, you know, Kate is your stepson and you and Kate were banging heads. Now you guys get along famously, but I remember you said, you know, I don't want you to be around Lily. I don't want you to be around Callie and I don't want you to be around Cade. And I was like, this guy doesn't even like Cade. I'm not even around, I'm not around him. And, and, and really, that was the moment when I started to try. Another reason is I had this tr- terrible incident that I'll get into sometime here. I mean, it's not the worst thing I did, but I was at the end of my rope. And you, it, it had gotten back to you that I was with this girl. We, there was a car that ended up in Murph's Creek, who's a, one of my dear friends, uh, who's a sober guy today. And my phone was lost in the creek or whatever. And uh, there was no way you should have had this girl's number. And I was with this girl and her phone rang and it was you. And I was like, <laughs> she's like, you know, it's your brother. I'm oh, thinking no. you say mother of Pearl. I was like, oh my gosh. So at that point, I, you know, there were certain things that happened, but those two moments for me were major. And then a month later I'm sober, but you do need that family member. I think to, in my experience, and that's all I have. Uh, because I loved you so much and thought so much of you when the line was drawn by you and by mom and dad. Uh, I don't know that there was an, there was an, uh, an effect that had on me that forced me to move, man. The walls were closing in and I was out of moves. Yeah. But also like, I think, you know, like it takes a village, like you were ready. There were other people in your life who were examples. You were told that, that there's a, there's a better life out there. And, 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 spending some time away and working on yourself, like what, what, you know, and you, and you listened, right? Like that became it. And, and look, man, you getting sober, like it was just such a relief for the family. And that's what I would also tell some, you know, like someone who's struggling or family, like there's a better way for it. Like, you know, somebody who's struggling, like it's a disease that, that does affect everybody, everybody. Like, the, the the air, like everyone in the family kind of exhaled, you know, with, with a little bit, you know, it was a little tentative, like, is this for real? Um, but man, I remember like, like, like visiting you with Lily and mom and dad, like, <laughs> yeah, when I lived in the halfway house trip. in Maryland. Yeah. 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 Like, and I'm like, and I'm like, and it was just like, it was good old fashioned fun. Like the fun that, that I think we have now, is, and I've said this before, like when, when, when things were bad, I remember just wanting to be a kid again, like when drinking and drugs. Like I remember like, like waking up and, or coming being like, I, do, I, want, I, want, I want the world to be clear again. It was just the film over. And I wanted to see, and I wanted to be a kid again. I wanted to be like where things were good and innocent. And, um, 
that's the fun that I have now. You know, for the, for the most part, right now, it's it, there's an innocence innocence attached to it. Like that, like it was it's fun. Like shit, man. You and I will just talk and we laugh. Yeah. Like we it's laugh it, it is ama- it's amazing, and I never thought on the other side that I would have moments like that. That I would be able to to live in the present and be with someone and enjoy it and have that good old fashioned fun. And it all and it all comes too from from being open and honest and vulnerable and, and all that stuff that these tenants of this of, of the 12 step program that we've learned and and to be able to live that i mean if if being sober didn't feel good dude i i, I wouldn't be doing it yeah for real I'm, true for i mean real. if it didn't feel good i would be drunk somewhere probably or thinking about getting yeah. drunker in that cycle you know yeah all right hey, anything look, else as we wrap it up yeah one more thing here okay uh I I don't want people, you know, I don't want, you know, listener, you know, I, I, listener and, and Murph, <laughs> like your friend, you know, which by the way, we probably could have just got, had a conference call with me, you and Murph and had him not talk like might be the same as the audience we're, we're hitting right now on the podcast. All right, you, you can cut that. Sorry. Um, this works for me and, and, and from your own experience, it works for you. Like I, we, I don't have anything figured out. Like, you know, every, like, like there's, I, I don't, honestly, I have nothing figured out. I'm much more comfortable in who I am. Um, I can be present, but for me, this, this works, right? I have to like, this works. Like, I don't want anyone to be thinking that when I'm sitting back going like, this is the only way. And this like, no, we don't get a cookie for not, not drinking. We we're doing what we should be doing. You know, we're an active, productive part of society, but this works for us. And I, I got a lot to learn, a lot to learn along this. And, and I think that people will help me and, and hopefully we'll be able to help. I'll be able to help people and we can keep paying it forward. But I don't, I don't want anyone to think we're preaching about laughing like, yeah, we're, we live in sobriety and this is the way. Like, no, this is yeah. – we're just really lucky to be – I like keep saying we because like, we are so much alike. But I mm-hmm. am so lucky to be living – you know, the life I'm living right now, um, I'm just really fortunate that, that, that I found sobriety and that I can be a good father, brother, worker. It's the most important thing to me is to, is to maintain sobriety so I can be all these other things. Oh, I like a good podcast so, guest too. And you, and you were today. I knew you would be, so you came through. Really? Yeah, I think so. You do. You do like me. <laughs> and listen, I know you're wrapping it up right now, yeah. but, but, uh, you know, look to go through this with you and Kevin. Um, it's unbelievable. It's that like it's been the most amazing gift of this program. I mean, to now not have brothers, to have sober brothers and sober best friends to go through life with. Like it's just it's a it's a joke that it's this good. I mean, I couldn't have a better relationship with you two guys. I mean, I f-ing love it. I love that that we're going through this together. Um, it's just such a blessing. And I, and I really, you know, I love you, buddy. And I love the, your sobriety and, and you've pushed me to be better in my sobriety often. Uh, it's just a great, great journey. So and I really appreciate you having me, having me do this, man. Yeah. I, thanks I for was, carrying uh, the message, man. I love you too. It was uh, uh, phenomenal. Honored to be a part of it. And thanks for the, I love you too. as a throwaway. That, that means a lot. Yeah, that's right. And, and the worst part about this for people is now they can listen to Kevin as he, play, as he plays this out. <laughs> now people can go throw up. Thanks so much for listening to the Payoff with Pete. 
Once again, I'm Pete Souza, and of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.